And tonight's performance, which I want to make sure I don't forget to say is going to be at 7.30 at First Lutheran, uh, is all about the music of the French composer Maurice Durfley. So Durfley was uh, obviously born in France, and he lived from 1902 to 1986. He was a really notable concert organist um, and church organist. He had positions at St. Clotilde, and he was assistant organist at the famous Notre Dame de Paris before becoming the organist at St. Etienne du Monde. Um, Towards the end of his life, unfortunately, in 1975, he was in a car accident that led him to be bedridden for the rest of his life. Um, But although he was really self-critical and only actually published a small number of works, the works that he left us with are pretty extraordinary. He wrote four choral pieces, all told. Um, There's a, a set of four Gregorian motets. There's a setting of the Our Father text. There's a mass for bass clef choir called the Messed Cumubilo. And then there is his Requiem Mass for mixed choir, which is the traditional Roman Catholic Mass for the dead. Tonight we're going to be doing three of those pieces, the four Gregorian motets, the Notre Père, Our Father, and the, the Requiem. And I'm absolutely delighted that we're going to be joined um, by a couple of people. We're going to be featuring some soloists from the choir. Um, there also is one movement that has a really important cello part that's going to be played by Samson Obel. Um, but we're also really, really lucky to be able to welcome to our organ console, Dr. Stephen Hamilton. And I'm just unbelievably thrilled he's here. No doubt. And uh, can we learn a little bit more about you? What got you into playing the organ? Well, I'll try to make a short story out of a very long story. In the second grade, my piano teacher said, oh, I've got to go to the church after your lesson and let in the organ tuner, and your mom's going to pick you up at the church. Fine. So we go to the church, and they had this fabulous pipe organ all the way across the front of the church, pipes and consoles, and four keyboards. And she said, would you like to hear it? I said, sure. And I was just, I remember even now how I felt about hearing the sound. And I went home and announced to my parents I was going to be an organist. And I started lessons in the fourth grade with a very fine teacher at Drake University and had lessons all the way through grade school and high school. And, and that led to a concert career and a doctorate from Manhattan School of Music and a 20-year tenure at the Church of the Holy Trinity in New York City. Now, most uh, instruments you can take with you. The organ, that's a little trickier. How does that work when you set up concerts and things like that? Well, certainly I have to go to it. If you take a car and we don't, as you look at the parking lot, there's all kinds of cars in your parking lot. Well, there's just that much of an array of different organs. So you've got to go early to uh, familiarize yourself with each instrument. For example, if I said you're going to run the Indianapolis 500 in a brand new Rolls Royce, but the gear shift's going to be on the right side, you're going to say, I've got to get used to that. And the next day, we're going to give you the Jaguar with a stick shift and the string columns on the left side, and you're going to have to get used to that. And then the next day, you're going to get in your mother's ancient Studebaker that doesn't look like anything you've ever seen before and run the Indianapolis 500. 
And you're going to say, you know, it's going to take me a long time to get used to the Studebaker. It has all kinds of eccentricities that I don't know about. Well, that's how organs are. They all change from instrument to instrument. So you have to go early, usually two or three days early. Practice hard, familiarize yourself with the sounds. And in this instance, I have to be very careful how the sounds are going to blend with the choir. So it's a, it's a very involved process. How did this collaboration come about? Oh, gosh. Um you know, Stephen and I have, have collaborated a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. We've known each other for about 10 years now, I mm-hmm. think, give or take. And um, we met through a, a mutual friend when I had need of an organist for one of the concerts that we were giving at the university. And I reached out to Stephen, and it's led to not only a marvelous musical collaboration of four or five, six different concerts mm-hmm. over the years, but also a marvelous friendship, which in music is is really, really important. When you're doing a, a project like this, you have to be willing to open your heart and your soul to the people that you're collaborating with. And there's there's a level of, of trust and openness that you can only really do with people that you have strong relationships with. Anything to add to that? I agree 100%. Uh, we are, we're, we're all of this together. You know, the better Stephen conducts, the better I play the organ, the better the cellist plays, the better the choir sings. We are a team effort to make this work. That always has to be that way. Whether it's Sunday morning church or an orchestral concert, a concerto concert, or in this instance, a big choral event, we are a team. Dr. Hamilton, are there any notable organs or concerts that you've uh, performed at over the years? Well, yes. Uh, one of my most thrilling events was playing in Notre Dame uh, in France in 2016, obviously before the fire. And I have played in most of the large churches in Paris, at Etienne Dumont, where the Durflays were the organist, and Saint-Sulpice, um, Sacré-Cœur, and uh, Saint-Clotilde, where Fran- César Franck was the organist. And I played two concerts at Westminster Abbey and a concert at St. Paul Cathedral and St. Giles at Edinburgh, St. Andrews in Glasgow. I played at the Vatican, and um, St. Paul within the walls in Rome. So that's in addition to playing places like St. John the Divine in New York or Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. Now, you kind of use that analogy with the the Rolls-Royce and the Jaguar and the Studebaker. Is there any favorite car or organ that you prefer or have performed on over the years? That's got to be a tricky one, right? That's very tricky. You can have a small instrument that's really quite beautiful, and you can have a large instrument with thousands of pipes. And you think, oh, my gosh, what a mess they've made out of this. It depends on the builder and the integrity of the builder and the support he has from the people who are building the project. It's like an architect. You know, you see somebody's house, and I want a house just like that. And then he says, well, yeah, but we could put it on different different siding and maybe we'll try a new roof here and you should try those new gutters over there and they put all this together and it doesn't quite work and pretty soon you're replacing the gutters you're replacing the roof and you're replacing the siding because what you had promised just simply does not work very interesting and uh, dr stephen kingsbury i do have a question for you because you kind of <clears throat> mentioned it the uh the big piece the requiem that's a tough one right can you go a little bit more in detail about that piece yeah so Traditionally, a requiem is the Roman Catholic Mass for the Dead. And, you know, I have to tell you, 
this piece, honestly, it changed my life. When I was in high school, I had the opportunity to sing at an honor choir that was put on by the American Choral Directors Association. Um, this was actually my senior year. And so it was coming at a time when I was, like most high school people, trying to figure out what my life's course might look like. And although I had always been really involved in music, um, I had some family members who weren't terrifically supportive of a career in music. They didn't think, well, I'll just say it was outside their realm of lived experience. And so they, they didn't feel that um, it was a safe life choice to make, that one could support themselves, one could support a family. Quick aside, that unfortunately is absolutely not true. One can absolutely support themselves through a life of the arts, and if that is your passion, you should follow it. But back to my story. Um, so I, I was actually looking at studying political science. I wanted to be a constitutional lawyer. And I encountered this piece through this honor choir, and we, we rehearsed for about a week in Boston the... Um, the conductor was a man named Paul Solomonovich, who was um, at the time director of the Los Angeles Master Chorale and is a man who had been knighted by the Pope for his work in sacred music, was an extraordinary, extraordinary conductor. And he brought this piece to life for me in a way that really, really really resonated. And um, because of that, I am doing what I am doing today. That, that one experience instilled in me the drive to actually follow my bliss and do what I knew in my heart of hearts that I was meant to do, to, to, to be a musician and to work with choirs. The music is stunning. It is a, it's a, a meditation on grief and loss, but it also is a celebration of hope and faith. And the balance of those two things, it, it just takes the listener on an emotional journey that is profound and provocative and deeply, deeply moving. Durfley was a composer. He grew up in France at a time when there was what's called the Gregorian chant revival. So Gregorian chant is the medieval melodies that were set to the Roman Catholic service words, both the, the ordinaries, which are the same from service to service, and the propers, which change from service to service over the course of the year. Unfortunately for modern composers, these melodies are based a little bit differently than um, modern music is constructed. They use a different uh, collection of an organization of pitches, and they're also different uh, rhythmically. So in terms of pitches, you know, nowadays, most of the music that we listened to is based on the modern major and minor scale. So, you know, we might think of um, do a dear is a great example of the major scale. I could change that. It's a little disturbing. Do a dear and make it minor. Um, but that's still very modern. 
These Gregorian chants are based on a, what's called a modal system, which predates all of that. And so Durfley had to not only integrate that modal system into these modern compositions, but the other thing about chant is that they are really rhythmically free. They're based on groupings of two and three notes that are derived from the, the way the words work. We have a fancy uh, word to describe this in choral music. It's the scansion of the text. Uh, but it, what it really means is the ebb and flow of the, in this case, Latin text. And again, to, to put that into the context of a modern composition and make it work is an incredible challenge. And to my mind, Durfley did it better than anybody else. And in the process, cra crafted these pieces that are so powerful and, and, and <laughs> I don't have a stronger word. They're just amazing pieces. They changed my life. Um, and I know they've changed the lives of other people too. And from what I understand with Requ uh, Requiem, Dr. Hamilton, you had the opportunity to learn about this piece from the composer's wife. Is that correct? Yes, I did. Uh, calling uh, Mrs. Durfley the composer's wife is a real stretch. She was Madeleine Chevalier Durfley, and she was the power behind the couple. She played all of her husband's works. She was the authority. And she made a transcontinental tour playing her husband's works and was really the first person to introduce his organ music to America. She was a very charming, lovely lady. I had an experience um, my year I spent in Paris studying with my teacher, Marie Carlin, who made uh, arrangements for me to, to play the music of Durfle for Madame Durfle at Etienne Dumont. And I thought, wow, you know, my French wasn't. I mean, I could order food and get transportation, but, you know, I couldn't talk about atomic energy or parts of a car in French. And her English was okay, but similar. So we met, and we had met previously, but, I mean, we met in church and sat down, and she said, what would you like to play? And I said, well, there were three compositions I wanted to play, the Veni Creator, Crown Variations, and the Duraflay Suite, and the Requiem. And she said, well, I only have three hours. <laughs> and I said, well, that would be wonderful. So we sat at Etienne Dumont for three hours, and we started actually with the Requiem, because it's most accessible of those compositions, and a strange instrument, a strange acoustic. I thought, this is the way to go. And uh, she hummed along, and I would take her pencil and point, and her, her big word was lean, lean on these harmonies lean on this particular melody, yada, da, 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 lean on the downbeat. But it was thrilling to play it for her. And there's some, I have a large hands. Well, her hands were large too. And there's some places where I have to thumb back and forth between the mandals in order to make blind legato. And she said, oh gosh, I'm not, I do it differently. And she did, I like yours better. And she took out her pen and took my notes and put them in her score, <laughs> which was really interesting. And then after that, we uh, played the, big suite and ended with the crowd variations and she must have liked what I was doing because she said why don't you come home and have lunch with Maurice and me well they lived in an apartment building across the street from the church and we went there and they had a small three manual pipe organ in the apartment and we had a, a salad luncheon and coffee and champagne and so forth 
And we just spent the whole afternoon together. She was very charming, and he was uh, not all that communicative. He was very shy. Mm -hmm. But when you talked about his work and how much I appreciated his music, he kind of lit up a little bit. And and then he would talk to his wife about whatever. And uh, uh, she would sort of translate and ask questions. But it was one of those kinds of moments like Stephen had. It really changed my perspective on lots of things. You cannot underestimate the, the value of European study in a new language, from a new set of ears, from a new set of eyes, a new situation, what you learn from that and take with you. Well, Dr. Kingsbury, anything else <clears throat> you got coming down the line? Yeah, so this actually, unfortunately, tonight's concert, which again is at 7.30 at First Lutheran, uh, is our last choir's concert for the year, so we're kind of wrapping up. We will, of course, be performing at SMSU's commencement in a couple of weeks. Um, but we're planning next year's already. And one of the really exciting things that we have going on is that the chorale in December is going to be heading to Europe for a week. We're going to be performing in venues in Vienna, um, including the Schönbrunn Palace and the Festival Hall at the Vienna City Hall and the really gorgeously beautiful Melk Abbey. Um, and then we're also going to go to Prague in the Czech Republic for a couple of days and perform there. So we are really, really excited about that. Um, I'll just mention quickly, if, if any of our listeners today are interested in following us on social media, we have Facebook page, we have an Instagram page, um, and you can follow us at SMSU Choirs. And if anybody would be uh, interested at all in donating to help the choir get to Europe, as you can imagine, getting 30 people over to Europe for a week is a massive and, frankly, expensive endeavor. Um, So we're always grateful for any help that uh, can be offered. And we have sites set up. We're selling some T-shirts right now. Um, But also there's a a page that the SMSU Foundation has set up for us where people can donate directly for that trip. Very good. I do appreciate the discussion here this morning, gentlemen, Stephen and Stephen. Thanks for stopping by and talking about the concert coming up. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. And we do swing it over to Mr. Bill Molso. You do have a list of events coming up, but I feel like we got to be winding it down, right? We have a lot of oh things coming goodness. up because we are winding down. So there you go. Uh, I'll get right to it. Of course, we have the concert tonight, so be sure to check that out at First Lutheran at 730. Uh, coming up tomorrow, we have our Culinary Skills Challenge with high school students from around the region competing. So that'll be uh, hosted on campus. Uh, we have Recent Controversies in Art, a panel discussion that'll be Also on Wednesday, and that'll be at 10 o'clock in the lower level of the Conference Center. Uh, Mustang Ovations are events celebrating the accomplishments of our faculty and staff. And this year's Cowan Award winner recipient, theater professor Sheila Tabaka. That'll be held tomorrow at 4 p.m. in the Conference Center as well. Baseball, 28 games into the season. They're finally going to get to play at home, weather permitting. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, with the doubleheader versus Minnesota State Mankato. Coming up on Thursday... Uh, telling Women's Stories, readings from the competition winners, will be from 12 to 1 in the Whipple Gallery. Uh, the Senior Art Exhibit Reception will also be on Thursday, and that's at 5.30 to 7 in the Whipple Gallery. Uh, Drama Club Productions this week, The Trail to Oregon. Uh, that will be in the Black Box Theater. That will be on the 20th, 21st, and 22nd at 
And then on Sunday, the 23rd, will be a 2 p.m. performance. Uh, Saturday, softball has a doubleheader at home versus St. Cloud State starting at 1 o'clock. And baseball has a doubleheader at home versus Bemidji State. That one starts at 1.30 at Legion Field. Uh, those two will continue on Sunday. Softball will host UMD at noon. And Bemidji State will play the third game of that series at noon uh, on Sunday. And then Monday, Visiting Writers Series presents Lauren Carlson. will be a poetry reading. That will be from 7 to 8 p.m. in Charter Hall 201. And there will be a Q&A following that and a book signing. And then the SMSU Community Concert Band and Symphonic Chamber Winds at the Movies will be Monday evening, 7.30 to 8.30 in the Fine Arts Theater. Coming up next week, we're going to learn more about M4L Day. Uh, that is next week. That's April 27th, and we'll learn more about that on our show on Tuesday. Very good. Bill Molso, Director, or sorry, VP for Government Relations, Marketing, and Communications. Hey, thanks for the uh, update. Thank you, Josh. Also joining us in studio, Dr. Stephen Kingsbury, SMSU Professor of Music and Director of Choral Activities. Thanks once again for joining us. Thanks, Josh. And Dr. Stephen Hamilton, the organist who has played all across the globe with all sorts of people. Once again, thanks for the conversation. Thank you for inviting me. That'll do it for our SMSU campus update. 32 minutes past the 10 o'clock hour, we got a mid-morning market update from the Linder Farm Network here in a few minutes.